Hello, adoptees, adopted people, friends and family of adoptees, and just curious people about the subject of adoption and the view into the lives of adoptees, transracial and international. Welcome to The Rambler. I am your host, Mike McDonald. This week, my guest is Linda Rogers. Yes, Linda Rogers. She is from Minnesota. I travel all the way there. And, uh... We we did a we had a conversation we had a conversation like you hear every week. Uh, this one in particular is very interesting. I think for you guys who are curious about uh, the adoptee citizenship act and what kind of issues can arise, even for people who do have citizenship within this country, the United States. Uh, for my international listeners, yes, we are based in the U.S. Here, uh, I particularly am from New York, the New York area. Uh, but this episode takes place in Minnesota, Minneapolis, to be specific. In any case, Linda, who is a U.S. citizen, was having issues with regards to her documentation and the status of her citizenship, despite having all of that. So you get to hear more about that in just a bit. And in the future, we will follow up with uh, Emily Kessel. She is in the charge of or is, is taking the lead for NACASEC. Uh, which you have heard in past episodes, particularly the ones I did in D.C. with uh, Wendy Marie and Spencer Stevens. And she's kind of leading the charge for the ACA and conversations with Congress and members of the Hill to try to get that passed. So you get to hear all about that uh, in future episodes, as well as kind of the ramifications and second and third order effects of what's happening with international adoptees and immigration, uh, which is an important subject. In any case, uh, this is going out a little bit late. It's going out on Monday. I apologize that it didn't go out yesterday on Sunday, which is usually the day that the show comes out. For all of those uh, new listeners who don't know, this is a weekly podcast. It goes out on Sundays, and uh, you can look forward to that. Usually, usually. Yesterday, I ran the Bronx 10-miler. I did almost no training. I felt terrible the last two miles, (laughs) and I was in a great deal of pain. But I was rewarded by a uh, great day with an old friend who just got her actor's equity card. So congratulations, Megan, on that. And uh, we had uh, sangrias at our friend Greg's restaurant, Gastroteca, over there in Astoria. So if you're ever in Astoria and you're looking for delicious food, you can go to Gastroteca in Astoria. Uh, right by the Museum of the Moving Image, which is just happens to be one of my favorite museums in New York as well. If you are a fan of film and television, as I am. And uh, they have a great 70 millimeter screen. You could see things on film, old films like 2001 A Space Odyssey and what preceded IMAX. It's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful screen. I highly recommend it. In any case, this week I will be going to Iceland. Uh, I will be going to Reykjavik. Hopefully there will not be a volcanic explosion. I look forward to Checking out the sites over there, the nature, going on a lot of hikes. Uh, we will be going in a volcano, hopefully seeing some northern lights, visiting some hot springs. It'll be pretty cool. I will try to post some things onto uh, Facebook and Twitter if I have an internet connection over there. Who knows? Who knows what the internet's going to be like in Iceland? I have an international SIM card that I go with. I got one for my wife as well, so we can communicate internationally and post things internationally. And uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I got a new camera, this uh, Yi Action Cam 4K, so I can record things in beautiful 4K. And we'll see uh, how the footage comes out with that, too. I, I think I should test it out probably before uh, I go out there with it. Anyways, listen, you guys uh, enjoy this conversation with Linda. Uh, there is a little bit of background noisy stuff. I don't know what that is, but enjoy it anyways. I will uh, talk to you guys again at the end of this if you're into listening to the intro and outro. All right. Enjoy this conversation. Enjoy. 
I know, it's getting kind of late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, holy crap, maybe we should cancel that. I guess I'm all right. I felt really bad, like, the second time when you were like, I'm here, and I'm like, I don't see it. It's not a big lobby. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, well, this is not huge. And they're like, oh, you mean the one down the street? I'm like, what the hell? Two of them in the same block? I know. What the hell? That happens a lot, too, I feel yeah. like. I, was, I stay at a couple of Hyatts, and uh, they usually do that for some reason, and it gets very confusing. Low class, higher class. No, just... I know. Well, the Hyatt place, which is where we're at right now, is uh, when I stay there, it's usually for like a, I don't know, like a longer term stay or something like that. Okay. Uh, when I was moving back to New York, I like lived in a higher place basically for like two weeks or something like that. And okay. usually if you're there for like an extended period, they will put you in a room with like a kitchenette and a full size refrigerator. Oh, so it's more like an apartment or something like that. A mini apartment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's still one room. It's still like, you know, I guess, I guess it'd be like a studio or whatever, but mm-hmm. the, you know, this part right here with the you know, television and the couch would kind of be separated, so it felt more like a living room and then a bedroom. Oh, separation. Yeah, it's got a little bit of separation, so this room doesn't quite have it, but, you know... It'll do. What, what are you going to do? Exactly. <laughs> so you said you live in, uh, what, Anoka? Is that what yep. you said? And that's about a 40, 45-minute drive? Mm-hmm. Well, and going home, it'll be like a half an hour. Oh, okay, so that's not too bad. No. Going back. No. And your kids are already full-grown kids, huh? Well, I have one young one. Oh, Yeah. How old He's the, 13, the, the okay, so you still got a teenager in the house. And I pray all the time. <laughs> I'm praying for the third one to make it through school. Yeah? hmm Doing all right, though? Mm-hmm. He's, he failed art. I asked him why. <laughs> <laughs> Did he have a good reason? No. Aw. Maybe he's just not artistic. Is That's he... what he said to me, and I said, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you're the first child that failed. All my other kids have gotten straight A's up in honors and all that and he's the first one that failed so we all had to give him shit for it mm. so did you all give him shit for it absolutely <laughs> what grade art, i mean we could see if it was math reading you know we're like art all you have to do is draw a smiley face you probably would have passed <laughs> it didn't happen huh no is he passing all the other classes though yeah with flying colors he's like art what are you gonna do with in grown-up years i'm like well i don't know you could be an artist and he's like what the hell am i gonna do that for <laughs> It's like, I, mean, I don't draw anything in real life. And I go, well, when you work, maybe someday you'll have to draw some graphics. And he's like, well, that's what I, iPhones and iPads are for. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> You're such a loser. <laughs> maybe that's what our class should incorporate these days. A little, little iPad or something like that? Probably. You never know. I feel like graphic design, that's where it's going. But Yeah, but that's all computer because I did that. Oh, yeah? You were a graphic designer? For a minute. For a minute? <laughs> for a minute. What do you do now? I do a state and... I do death collections. Death collections? What does that mean? I do estate and probate, so I work with attorneys. Okay. Were you always in that kind of, I guess, line of work other than the minute of graphic design? I've done a lot of things. I've done, um, but since 2001, yes. Okay. I've been doing collections and live collections, and Mm -hmm. now I'm doing death collections. So you've been at this for a while, then. This is Mm -hmm. not like a new job. Not like a new job. (laughs) And you've been in Minnesota for a while? I've lived here all my life. All your life? Mm-hmm. Except for the adoption part. Yep. I came here in 1977. Okay. So, and I've been, my parents live in Roseville, and I've lived in this area for all of my life. Okay. Uh, how old were you when you were adopted from Korea? Two and a half. Korea? Two and a half? Mm-hmm. Okay. No memories. No memories. At all. And then what started me on my whole Korean adoptive group situation was my brother found me and I had no idea I had family. 
Your birth, your birth family brother, mm-hmm. your biological brother. Yep. So he was like, he, he was me. looking for you. He was looking for me, and I got a letter from Lutheran Social Service. Mm-hmm. And I said, congratulations. Or they said, your family is looking for you. They would, they're sorry to give you up, and we'd like to speak with you. Wow. How recently was that? That was for five years. Five years ago? Mm-hmm. So you've kind of had an ongoing relationship with them since then? It's an odd relationship. Is it like on and off? It's when they want to communicate, they communicate. When they, they don't, they don't. Yeah. And then learning my story was very interesting because he came here. Because mm-hmm. I fought the U.S. government for two years for a passport because I was adopted between the years of when um, adoptees were not automatic citizens. And right. So I had to prove that I was a citizen and I had everything but the golden piece of paper, I call it, because... Um, INF said, we need more proof. <laughs> so I ended, up, I ended up going back to before I was 18, and I was 39 at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was a crazy story because I had to get the Senator Klobuchar involved to actually get my passport. Wow. So what was the missing piece of paper that they wanted so desperately? The 1099-C4. <laughs> no, 1099. Uh, it was the... Um, a, it was basically American citizenship, mm-hmm. one with the actual emblem and stamp. Other shit they would take from the Lutheran Social Service. I dug up all my adoption records. Uh-huh. I went on a leg hunt and everything. I went up to the INS window and they were like, I'm sorry, we can see you porting in, but we are not sure if you're a citizen. So, what? Yeah, and I pay them every year. Jeez. So I was trapped in the United States for a minute, because that's the best term you want to use, and then I fought for my passport and finally got it. Well, at least you weren't deported out of the country to Korea. Well, then I would have been stuck in my own country, right? I guess. It's, it's, it's insane these days. I mean, are you uh, familiar now? You just said you're just kind of getting into the adoption stuff. I'm getting to do no um, more of the trials and tribulations, and... Um, because I have my own children and um, they're, we call my two children who are Vietnamese and Korean, we call them purebreds and my other one, we call them, we just tease them because we're like, you're a mutt of the family, you're half white. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tease thing and um, I don't know, I've lived here all my life and I was really pissed off that I couldn't get my adoption um, actual passport because I had everything else and proved it to the government. Mm-hmm. Paid the wonderful fee, and then finally I went on to the site, and they're like, congratulations, we actually could find. I mean, I could tell them who actually signed for my citizenship and everything, and yeah. they wouldn't believe me. Really? Mm-hmm. So your parents went through the whole rigmarole, they got you naturalized and everything, but you just couldn't find that one piece of paper. My mom gave it to me when I was 18, and I didn't really care. Sure. 18, yeah. 18, and... I think I was more into drinking and whatever. Sure. (laughs) Being an 18-year-old. Exactly. So that's pretty much. And then battling through learning about um, other adoptees, going through certain different struggles where, Mm -hmm. for me, it was more emotional-based for when my brother found me because I wasn't expecting it. Oh, yeah. I opened up my adoption papers, everything, um, when I was younger. And people would always ask, hey, Linda, do you ever want to know about Korea? And I'm like, no, what am I going to do with Korea? <laughs> it's just from where I'm from and have no clue. And and what is kimchi? <laughs> you know, my parents all are Scandinavian. And yeah, yeah. Born as an only child, or 
I was an only child, and then, you know, learning from that, being spoiled, I guess my mother would call it, and then <laughs> going into adulthood. Who cared about the international paper that would save me down the road, whatever, so. Yeah, I mean, like, how would you know how important that would be in the future? <laughs> well, I thought, hey, you just go down and get a new birth certificate, just like, you know, <laughs> we're good. I've got an ID, state ID, we're good. And, oh, no, that's not how it went. No, I guess not. Nope. Although now, you know, we're, they're trying to get legislation passed to, to patch that so, you know, all adoptees prior to 1983, which are now covered, will have automatic citizenship as well. Because I don't, I don't know why they picked 1983. It just seems to be an arbitrary year that they picked that everybody after that would have when, automatic citizenship. When I opened up my adoption records, which was crazy because it was the original adoption paper, and I actually went to three courthouses to find it. And when the gentleman handed it to me and I opened it up and actually read it, I was like, okay, so you you have this Korean writing saying they gave me up as the institution and my parents signed over and then had every single other piece of article, piece of paper that you could say adoption, American citizenship, but because it wasn't that one piece of paper that had the emblem, they right. gave me a lot of hard time and it's ridiculous. It is. Especially when you're paying taxes in every year. Mm-hmm. So... I was a smart ass in your life, so why the fuck would I vote that? Yeah. If I can't get a passport, you know. Well, you ended up getting it, right, eventually? Even Not though you had to closure. contact your senator. <laughs> yep. It was a huge letter, and it was like, and everything I had gone through, and um, they finally said, oh, I guess she is a citizen. <laughs> oh, I guess so, yeah. After, you know, having been here for so many years, and I have all the other documentation except for this. Yep, it was just one piece. They had me provide my parents, at least their anal record keepers, where it was two years prior to I was 18. Mind you, I'm 39 at that time. Mm-hmm. Before you're 18, they wanted proof of two years prior to you um, becoming 18 and that your parents paid taxes towards you to prove that you're a citizen. <laughs> and they had all that. Uh-huh. And they were like, nope, sorry, we need to, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, what is it? And then cave archived um in a golden little circle what the hell you break through the seal and all and it was just amazing yeah and did i mean did you ever contact the adoption agency to try to get help with all that what they say they gave me all the information they could provide me so they actually had the written documentation of me becoming a citizenship mm-hmm. so it said it was the adoption agency the person whoever it was me my parents myself and still nothing Wow. Because it wasn't that golden piece of paper. I see. It's, it's made like, of 14 karat gold or some crap. When people complain about government bureaucracy, that's like the pinnacle right there. It's like, well, if you're not going to let me be, get a passport or claim that I'm a citizen, then I want all my money back. Exactly. <laughs> I paid in every year. And Give I me a refund. Exactly. So, I mean, that was the really frustrating part for my journey to go to Korea. I've gone twice. Okay. Since then, after you finally got your passport? Yep, it was like my brother probably thought I was a liar because of the language barrier, and he came here first, and then... Oh, really? Yep, and he stayed 10 days, and then... um, He came out to Minnesota? Yep, and that was an interesting ride. How was that? An interesting ride. (laughs) It was... Well, because I have... I've been in the Asian culture, so I understood some of the mannerisms, so it Mm -hmm. wasn't a huge shock to me, like, for not wanting to like the sharing the food wasn't a shock to me because I've been around Asian cultures where we share food all the time so that wasn't a huge deal for me but 
it was the language barrier and then actually hearing my story and then I'm one of those people that have to read it, see it, feel it, and then actually see it I, you know, before I believe something. And my story was crazy. It was, um, my brother wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be adopted. My brother lost me on a bus. And by the time they found me... He's an older brother? Yeah. He is, I'm 42, so he's 50. Okay. And so then... So you were his responsibility. Mm-hmm. And they told him my family was poor. What my, I know in my story is my parents' family's house burnt down. My sisters went and lived with my, my mother and my brother, and I lived with my father, who was an alcoholic. My brother would skip school, feed me, whatever. I ended up in the streets of Pusan. Okay. And um, at that point, somewhere along the line... I don't know. I don't know if I was too ill, and I could try to figure out. Okay, are these my family telling me the truth about my story? Because when I came here, I was deathly ill, malnutrition, um, had a lot of health issues, and mm. my parents paid for those health issues to get better. But it was for me. I, I I have a hard time knowing what is truth and what is not. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a common issue. Yeah. And with it's adoptees. Like my story changed, and then mm-hmm. it's like. I lashed you in a bus, and oh my gosh, and then I met my sisters, and they're all crying, and it was like, my mother had passed, but it was weird for me, because I don't have that emotional, I felt that I should have cried, but I didn't. I cried more and less for, when I got to Korea, it was um, emotionally weird to see everyone who was Korean, Yeah. and I was no longer the... Are you Asian? Oh my God! Are you the only Asian <laughs> in the room? Here's me. I dropped down in the plane and I went by myself. And uh, the first time I went with his best friend, who spoke broken English, so getting him drunk and him passing out was good. <laughs> but it was a crazy ride. It was interesting and um, hearing other adoptee stories where they've actually had like where that curtains open up and there's your Oma and. I didn't have that. I had, they met me at the airport and I couldn't, they held my hand the whole time and mm. I couldn't leave their sight. Wow. Well, I mean, I guess they were, they must have been scarred from your brother having lost you on a bus. It was like, oh no, we're never letting go again. Yeah, well, I'm like this old and they couldn't go like four feet away. It was my name being called in Korean and basically they were watching me the whole time. So they still called you by your Korean name when you mm-hmm. when you came and yep. visited? There was no Linda, um, which I was fine hearing my name, Kyung Kyung Cho, but it was very odd for me because having your name screamed out in Korean, it was almost like a memory touch thing for mm-hmm. me. Because it was like, holy crap, what does he want now? <laughs> and then I, he told me to sit down, and one time I decided just to look outside the ocean or whatever we were at, and I heard my name being screamed, and I was just right behind the van. And I went, no! <laughs> and he was like, oh, you're there. But it was the fear of losing me, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So the, my journey was crazy in Korea, and then I took my oldest back. And hmm. he went back again this year, but... Um, it is an amazing journey if anyone can go back. 
I would suggest. I didn't go back with other adoptees. I knew there was a place for adoptees, but mm -hmm. um, because my brother had come here first, I went to his house. Yeah. And then, I don't know, it was a whirlwind. I bet. And I didn't sleep very much, so. <laughs> but I didn't get to party, and that was, I don't know if it's weird, but I wanted to see the bars in Korea. Do you Korea. miss that? Well, I kind of wanted to see the bars in Korea and kind of like, you know, go with, oh, that's an American bar, and this is really the Korean bar. <laughs> you know, K-pop, hello. <laughs> I just wanted to hear if they played that or they played, you know, something Americanized. And they do a bit of both, as yeah. far as I can recall. I haven't been to a Korean club in a very long time, or a bar, but uh, they do a bit of both. Well, see, now I just wanted to know, because I'm all about experiences in life. Mm -hmm. and, um, I raised my kids to want to try experiences and good not to hold back and my son actually met a girl in korea and they're meeting september 1st in canada so I'm oh really scared. he's a 23 year old so i'm kind of scared <laughs> <laughs> he never liked asian girls and then all of a sudden he's like it's like mom i went online and blah 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 i'm talking to this korean girl and i'm like i'm okay, okay with that Normally, it's, you know, because this I, is a new age. This is how it's done now. I know, but he used to like little blonde hair, blue eyed girls. He'd cut them out in the newspapers. I don't know. He'd, <laughs> kill, He'd kill me if I told. But it was, it's just a very strange. It is very interesting to see how my two children are reacting to my adoption. Like my one, yeah. My oldest is all like going to Korea. Here he went, and he went back this year by himself with my brother and. I had a blast, and I didn't go this year. And then my daughter doesn't want to go to Korea. Hmm. But she's Vietnamese and Korean, and she's like, I'm not going to Korea. And I'm like, why? And she said, what am I going to do there? She doesn't like Korean food. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Because <laughs> it's all, you know, it's not very Americanized. Well, if she goes to Busan or Seoul, there's enough fried chicken and burgers and stuff now. I, I think she'll be all right. Yeah, she's still spoiled. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, you, what are her interests? She's more Vietnamese because her father is Vietnamese. And mm -hmm. When I was younger, I went through this whole, I need to find my Asian self. So I ended up with a Vietnamese. So you found a Vietnamese guy. Yeah. Well, let's just say he wasn't the Asian self. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I went through a lot of soul searching when I was a teenager and had a lot of issues through that. And sure. I dealt with that. Well, I mean, I, I think that's fairly common and everything. Well, how was it growing up here in Minnesota? Were you always in Anoka, or was it more Twin Cities? or Roseville. I lived in Roseville all okay. my life. Same house. My parents owned the same house I grew up in. Still? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It was a very... my as far as, like, race, I remember meeting the first Asian person in my... Because I was all through Caucasians in the proper word Caucasians white people throughout the school and I just remember I was like the second Asian and it was like holy crap there's another Asian oh my god and I'm like you look like me but other than that um a lot of my friends are mostly white yeah you know and it's very weird is it sometimes was it weird for you growing up it was and well no really it wasn't like anything but until I got older and the knowledge was there Oh, yeah, when you started to become kind of conscious of it? Mm hmm Do you think that was an outside influencing factor, or do you think that you felt that inside internally, like, oh, inside. I'm different from everybody? Internally. Yeah? Well, I didn't want mashed potatoes, potatoes, whatever, and I grew up <laughs> on that shit all the time. Well, of course. And then I was, like, through, I don't know, and then all of a sudden I 
I always knew I was different. Uh-huh. Um, I went to Korean culture class or camp every year. My Did you? And merged me into it. And I kind of balked at our own society, I guess that's the word. And um, I met a couple Koreans back in the day, but it was like they were very, in, they were from Korea, so it was like mm-hmm. their culture was so different. I had no understanding because yeah. certain things Koreans do, and you're like, oh, all right. And now it's like, I got it, you know, as you get older. Well, how old were you when you went to those camps? Uh, since I was, I don't even remember. Since I was, like, till I was 12, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, you want to do fan dancing? I did that, too. <laughs> but you weren't, like, super into it, it sounds like. No. You sa- it sounds like you were. You wanted more to, like, almost assimilate with the rest of your, your whiter friends in Minnesota here. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, but I didn't in some ways, because inside, like, truly culture-wise, it was mm-hmm. like I knew I was very different. Right. And there were certain things that I craved but didn't understand the craving until you become more subconscious with that. Mm. And because, I mean, I grew up in potatoes, mashed potatoes, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. As soon as I figure out what white rice was, it was like, we're having white rice, white rice. (laughs) There we go. Trade one carb out for another. (laughs) Screw this. (laughs) Went through Brahma noodles. Oh, yeah. Holy crap. Oh, my God. This is shit. You know? Oh, my God. You put kimchi in that? You know, I know it's all good. Mm -hmm. But it was very different. It was, I recognized my palate was different. Um, And then as I got older, I become more conscious of who I was and went through a very huge culture immersed myself in like Vietnamese Hmong culture because the Hmong culture came here first sure it's huge here yeah and I went to Hmong New Year and I was like holy crap there's all these Asians and they're all in ball gowns what the hell am I doing here and then I figured out I didn't fit in with them either because I wasn't right some of their cultures are culture isn't bad but it's not what I grew up with so Mm -hmm. I have a really huge issue with Confused Asian, that's what I call myself. Well, I mean, like, uh, here in Minnesota, especially, I feel like there isn't a very strong, like, uh, Korean community like there is in New York or L.A. You okay. say you have a strong Hmong community here, a uh, yep. strong Vietnamese community here, but it's not very strong, like, Chinese or Korean or any of right. those. Right, and the first Korean grocery store I went into was the one in St. Paul, mm-hmm. and I don't know what I did when I was younger, but I remember the old lady yelling at me and kicking me out. So then I went back to the Korean um, cafe with my brother. Uh-huh. And in my mind, I remember the how they treated me when I was younger to what how they treated me with my brother speaking pure their language. Mm-hmm. Back. And it was such a difference. I bet, yeah. And it was like, what the hell? You know? <laughs> <laughs> My, you know, and it's, I, I don't know, I just find it very different and a different type of prejudice as, yeah. as Korean um, adoptee, I used to go to the casino, not that I have a gambling habit, <laughs> but I mean, I'd sit next to a Korean woman and they wouldn't say anything to me mm. and they knew I was Korean, but because right. I didn't speak the same language, there was that prejudice there. Sure. It's like they're put off by it almost. Like, what the hell are you, are you kidding? Say, Anya Haseo. Yeah. Up, you know? They're like, yeah, why don't you know Korean and stuff like that? It, you know, it's a very, uh, like, insular, homogenous culture. 
And even with Koreans who are like second gen or 1.5 Korean Americans who come back and they have like a little bit of an American accent in their Korean. Yep. It's like they point it out immediately. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Yeah. And it's very interesting that our culture is not as big as it should be. Mm -hmm. As many adoptee Koreans are here. When I was younger, I used to think, why isn't there any teen groups for Koreans? I mean, this is when I was young. Mm -hmm. And I can remember going through all my anger issues or whatever you want to call them, battling myself and um, remembering memories of why isn't there like a safer place for Korean adoptees to go because there was, I mean, I had met another Korean adoptee and I don't know, I'm kind of always wanted to know why, you know, we're such a huge majority of Asians that were populated here first, Mm -hmm. the Hmongs and all that, and there was not, there was a Korean culture camp once a year with, uh, was it the Children's Home Society, which is good, Mm -hmm. but there's other, like for me, that wasn't me, it was not what I wanted, it was more or less, it was a very different beast, I wasn't for fan dancing, (laughs) for Taekwondo, I'm good, (laughs) I didn't want to dress up in the hanbok and... I didn't really want to dress up, but I wanted to know my culture. Yeah. Well, what were you... It sounds like you were still yearning for some kind of exposure to Asians in general, but specifically you want Korean culture, but without all the fan dancing and the taekwondo and everything. What do you think you were trying to get? I don't know. It was maybe an understanding. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because for me it was... I knew nothing about the culture, but then I wanted to know... But I wanted to do it at my own pace because I'm spoiled like that. I don't know. <laughs> well, when did you start exploring that kind of stuff on your own? I started doing it when I was like, well, when I had my first child. That's when Michael, I had my child when I was 18, Michael. And I started wanting to know about a more calmer side of my culture. Before it was more like a hyper I don't know how to explain it. It was more or less, I need to know, I need to know. But when I had a child, it it slowed down on my identity crisis, I think I had inside Hmm. myself. That's kind of weird. But I mean... No, no. Michael was the first person that, and he's my oldest, who's 23 now, was the first child thing to look like me and Mm -hmm. actually have some facial structures as me. Yeah. Even though... I could see other Asians, they weren't like me, and then it was weird having my own child, and I think that's when it was more or less not anger anymore, it was more uh, wanting to know in a more calmer way, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I kind of backed off for a little bit, and I went through my ups and grinds, but um, I think at the age I am now, I'm more peaceful for who I am today than versus... So my brother goes, well, I looked for you 20 years ago, and I'm like, I was told him straight out, I'm glad he didn't find me 20 years ago. And he asked me why, and I said, because I think I would have been a bitch. <laughs> Is that what you said to him? <laughs> yeah, I think I would have been a bitch. I think I would have not appreciated you finding me, and I probably would have had too many anger issues on why I was here and mm-hmm. couldn't see beyond that. And... I'm glad now, as I'm older, I can appreciate things more and see them in a different light. Well, how did your anger issues kind of manifest themselves? Do you think they stem from an adoption perspective, or...? I don't even know. I, in some ways, my parents would be like, you're angry! And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, it was always put off as, 
adopt a child, anger issues. And maybe I made it in my own head too, but I mean, it was always put off, oh, she must be angry because of this. And mm-hmm. I dealt with some prejudice, but it, it was a weird prejudice. Like how? Well, I hang around Asians, they say I'm too white, and then when you hang around <laughs> white people, they expect you to be like, I don't know, cheerio. <laughs> I don't know what the hell, but I mean, um, it was very, it was like I didn't belong anywhere. I Mm -hmm. I didn't belong with the Asians because I was too white for them and I didn't know the culture and I didn't take the shoes off right away at the door and, you know, some, you know, and learning how to use chopsticks, this, that, and the other, you know, during my teenage years when I'm like, oh, chopsticks, what the hell is this? (laughs) So it was, for me, that was that my, I don't know, and then I changed. I don't know. Maybe I'm still confused. That's okay. I mean, why not? But I have this longing to go back to Korea and stay there again. Yeah. Well, so you have like your first biological connect- connection through your son, right? Your first son, mm-hmm. your oldest, and then your brother finds you. How long? So he was looking for you for twenty years. Yeah, supposedly. How did he find you? He cussed out some a Korean adopt or was it? There's this Korean social service. Uh huh. So there's two ways that adoptees come in. It's one that's social service and another one and Lutheran social service. I think is one of them or I don't know how mm-hmm. they go with the groups. And so he called the one agency and I guess he got really drunk and they finally gave him some information. When he was drunk? Maybe. Supposedly, <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, okay. And I'm like, all right. So you cussed him out when you're drunk and then. I don't know how that's what the story they told me. Okay. Okay. And then they finally opened up my information and he wrote me a letter and I got this letter and it was like, I'm your brother and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay. So the agency forwarded you this letter. Mm -hmm. And then I forwarded a letter back. It took me two months to write it. Took you two months? Did you have to process everything? Hell Yeah. Yeah. What were those two months? Did you share that with your family immediately, or was it like a little secret that you had for yourself? My <clears throat> my ex-husband was getting deployed. My daughter just had a baby. So in that ramification, I had a letter from Korea, <laughs> and I was like, what the F is going on? The triple triangle of hell. So I was <laughs> dealing with my ex-husband. He, he was my husband at the time, getting deployed. My daughter just had a baby, and I got this letter from Korea, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, okay, that's my real name, but that that was told to me as a child. It was given to me and made up, and my age was made up, and so you're saying my name's real. Mm-hmm. And then I read the letter more, and I was like, hmm, don't even know how to respond. Then I thought about... My ex used to send lots of money to Vietnam for his family, so he'd send like $500, $1,000 each month for his family because they'd live well off of it. So here's me, a little selfish little brat that I am. Do they want money? <laughs> what do they want from me? <laughs> My God, I got this letter, and you know, and I'm all emotional reading it, and I'm like, okay. What? And then I had to think about what am I truly wanting out of his relationship and it took yeah. months to figure it out and I don't even know to this day that's a rare scenario because there are so many adoptees out there who do birth searches and they're the ones who initiated I feel like it's very rare to find a birth family 
who is actively searching out and has successfully found their child. What, what was his point of view after finding you? Did he write you back immediately? Yes, and but it took a little bit of time because the first thing is the agency wrote me a letter, and it was Lutheran Social Service that sent me the first letter, and then I sent the response, and I had to wait for that agency to write it in Korean and send it off to Korea. Mm-hmm. So I kept up with this woman named Linda Bergman. And I asked her, okay, so if I write a letter, how long does it take to get to Korea? And when will my response be? And, you know, I'm used to email, so it should be instant, damn it. <laughs> I want <laughs> like it right now. <laughs> it took him a month and a half, and I wrote it, and um, I sent a picture, and then he sent a picture back. And then I'm like, oh, shit, this is my family, because he was a carbon copy of my, my son. Really? Facial, everything, body structure. And I'm like, I kept looking at the picture, and then I showed my daughter. I go, does this really look like your brother? Because I think I might be drinking. (laughs) And she's like, Mom, no, splitting image. And I'm like, okay, that's my family in Korea. And then I'm like, what do I do with this information? Because what do you do with it? It's like this family that tells you that they long to see you. They're happy that they found you. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, so I ended up contacting a wonderful woman who helped me translate. And so then my mother was on the phone, called Korea, and they were like, and all they wanted to hear is my voice. And I'm like, I don't know what to say to these people. Hi, how are you? Um, you know what I mean? In the introduction, they're like, and then my mother gets on the phone. I don't know what she said. Well, I think I know what she said. She said hello, and then I kept saying hello back, and I looked at the translator, and I said, I don't know what to say to her. She's And she's like, they just want to hear your voice, because it was the first time they heard my voice, and I'm like, yeah. hi, how are you? Hi, don't know what to say. She's like, just say anything. I'm like, annyeonghaseyo, that's the only word I know in Korean. <laughs> I'm good, annyeonghaseyo. <laughs> Can this conversation be over? You know, and then my mother had asked, how long would it take you to get here? And I said, my translator had written down three years, just some three years, so they would, you know, pressure me to get there. For about three years, and I'm like, tell them three years. <laughs> and she told them, and my mother said, I'd be dead by then. And that rang true, because oh. I couldn't get my passport. And um, she ended up passing away. Korea likes to talk when they want to talk. So my brother finally wrote me and said my mother had passed. And sorry that we didn't get in contact with you. Mm. And it was a weird situation because I felt like I should be crying and overly emotional. And I wasn't. Yeah. It was weird. It's a weird... It still screws me up to this day because as a mother myself, I'm like... Should I be tearful? Should I not feel some sort of remorse, sorrow? sorrow? And I don't have that. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, aside from the two and a half years before your brother lost you on a bus, allegedly. Yeah. I mean, what kind of emotional connection did you have to this woman prior to that conversation with a couple of broken hellos? Exactly. So it was like for me and then finding out my brother took care of me at all and my sisters and my mother lived in Pusan and we my brother and my father, he took me back to where I originally boarded with my father, and it was a rundown shack, and it was scary. Mm. And it was like, wow. And then I think to myself, like, what would my life be if I was still in Korea? What kind of advice would they give me? Yeah. 
And would I still have all my shitty relationships with <laughs> And great relationships, too, you know? And what kind of advice would they give me? And then I had all that conundrum stuff, and I still have that once in a very while. Sure. It's frustrating. So how has it been since then? It's amazing. Um, I've learned to... I'm getting more involved with Korean groups. Before I was like, what do I need Korean groups for? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I wasn't really huge into the culture, but after my brother and then going to Korea, I'm like, okay, I want more knowledge. Yeah. So you were aware of these adoptee groups prior to all of this kicking off. It's only been recently that you've tried to get involved. Well, and I didn't know, like, the, the Korean groups I knew of were, I wasn't a huge big Facebook person ever. Okay. So, like, my kids got me into Facebook, and I used it for my work mostly, and then all of a sudden, um, they're like, well, there's this cat group, and I'm like, cat? What is that? <laughs> and um, this woman's like, it's Korean adoptees. And I'm like, oh, I'll check it out. And then reading the stories, um, I didn't feel like I was alone in the whole emotional journey that I went through. Yeah. It was very weird, and then I'm reading stories, and I'm like, oh, they went through that. Wow. And then it was, and it opened up a whole different world and perspective. Mm-hmm. Was it a little bit validating for you to find this group and to see that there were so many people with similar feelings and experiences as you? Yeah, because I, I mean, my, my friends are white. Yeah. That's the best way I could put it. I've got <laughs> they some, don't know. They have no clue. They're like, oh, congratulations, you found your brother. Yay. You know, but it was very uh, different because it was nice to know that there are other Koreans with the frustrations, with the language barriers. With, yeah. Uh, dealing with um, the emotional of changing of stories and figuring out, trying to piece together the story that actually is your story. Yeah. I think it, people who aren't adopted kind of don't understand that this is like that there's a part of your life that's a mystery and it is piecing together puzzle pieces that like either may not fit or you know it's a thousand piece box and you have 998 pieces and you're like where the hell are the other two pieces yeah it's like putting the puzzle especially like with health you know when you go to the doctor Mm -hmm. they're like um your family history do you have glaucoma um diabetes anywhere in your family and i'm like i'm adopted and i have no clue and now finding out my real family I'm like so the first questions I ask and I know some of my health history here oh my mother has heart issues and like so the first time I go to the doctor I'm like yeah I'm adopted but I know some of my health history (laughs) (laughs) it was like it was amazing I was like Yep, I'm adopted, but um, my mom has health issues, just to let you know. <laughs> so they were pretty forthcoming with the medical history, your with family? With my mother, yes. But with my brother and, it, and my sisters, they're more enclosed. Yeah. And my relationship with my sisters are very different than my brother's. In what way? My brother's... Well, it sounds like your family was fairly separated, too, my brother growing up. To, yep, and my brother actually went back and looked for my sisters and my mother. And because he went after I disappeared, not disappeared, but supposedly went missing. missing. My brother went on the streets of Pusan and then worked in back kitchens. He's a successful chef now today, and he owns two restaurants. Nice. Um, But 
during that time of teenage years or whatever, he was homeless, didn't have connection with my family. Mm. And so when I met my sisters, it was a very weird situation because I knew, like, they're fighting over my age. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but it was like, and I brought, I um, had a videotape of it and their fight, and I brought it back for my translator here. They're like, yep, you're fighting over the age. I'm like, I knew they were fighting over something. And it was my age, because I, I figured it out by just, like, body language and yeah, yeah. their high-pitched screeches <laughs> were, and I was like, oh, my God, we're good. I'm like, let's go, yep, we're good, you know. So it was, those things were amazingly shocking. And then as I get older, I mean, I would hate to see, like, I look at Asian little children with American people now, and I see it in a different light than I did when I was younger. How, how does it strike you? <clears throat> Sometimes there's moments where I go, I feel kind of empathetic because I look at my pictures as a child and I look like the typical Asian Korean girl that, you know, was, had the angelic smile and happy all the time in the pictures. You know, but I think to the, myself is as long as they're loved. Because I met some Korean adoptees that weren't loved by their adoptive families, mm -hmm. and that to me is most heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, and it's sad. I hear those stories sometimes. I'm just like, why would your parents want to adopt kids? Well, I'm, I met this woman, and she was adoptive, and she had a sister, and she was telling me that her adoptive, um, they both came at the same time, and this family adopted them, and didn't show them love, and it was basically they were farm slaves, you know, in some ways, mm. you know, at the age they were, and I didn't have that experience. I was very blessed because my parents loved me, but sometimes a little too much. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, we need to find your culture. <laughs> you are Korean, and um, we're white, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Type of situation, and, you know, and not that they won't accept my culture, but. Yeah. Um, when I hear those stories, it makes me really sad, and I think to myself when I see the children, is are you being really loved? Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm, and I'm not saying that there isn't families that don't love their kids, but it, it's heartbreaking to know that there's other people in that situation. Yeah. Why adopt? Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I just that's always the question I kind of come back to when I hear that. I'm like, why did they do this? Maybe, like, I guess the farmhand thing kind of makes sense, but it's like not everybody has a farm. But I also <laughs> think that a lot of people like to say, I did this as a grandeur thing. Yeah, yeah. The face. I adopted these children who are unwanted. It's like the savior complex thing. Yep. And I call it like the volunteers that hold, you know, I volunteer for this. And really, they don't have that kindness in their heart. They're just doing it so other people are like, sure, you're the best. We'll give you that. Did you read that thing? Uh, this came out like today or yesterday. J.K. Rowling, you know, the author of the Harry Potter books and everything. Okay. I don't, I've never read the Harry Potter books. <laughs> I don't really get it. You know, I think it was just pat. Like I was just older than whenever they came out and everything. But she yeah. just came out with this whole like, online diatribe on Twitter against, like, volunteerism and, like, you know, that's the worst thing to happen to, like, orphanages and orphans, like, all these people with this savior complex just because of that kind of spirit to be like, well, I'm so great because I did this. And it's like, well, 
Did you do it just so you could show off to other people that you yeah. were a volunteer or that well, you that's what saved it, these kids? That's what I mean. It's like, for me, that's... I didn't have that experience because luckily I was, you know, my parents really mm-hmm. wanted me. Maybe not all the time, but they're... <laughs> yeah, I mean, neither did I. I didn't have that experience either, but... But it was like, for me, it's like, what the hell? And yeah. And I hear stories and... Sometimes I have a hard time connecting with another Korean because of their situation or their emotions towards adoption. Because mm-hmm. I'm okay being adopted. I'm okay who I am today. Right. Me, 20 years ago, I might have been like, oh, I have no clue. and probably was drunk. Maybe. I don't know. Well, I was definitely drunk, so I don't I feel bad. <laughs> but it was, for me, it's like the savior complex is, it scares me. I, I think it's a scary thing, yeah. Because like also box. those people think that they're doing good. Well, that box, um, that story of the Korean orphanage, or not orphanage, place where Korean babies go into a box and the pastor picks them up and takes care of them. I asked somebody, I said, is those children ever able to be adopted? And I found out not all of them because unless the birth mother signs off. And I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you're pretty much giving, not the babies, well, it sounds bad, but it's somewhat, are you really giving them a life? And if you really care about them, why isn't someone doing something bigger? Yeah. Throughout the country and this, that, and I don't know, it's weird. I met a pastor, and he's huge with the Korean and Baptist groups. <laughs> but I didn't, I mean, it I'm not a broken Korean adoptee. I don't feel that way. I had my brokenness for a while, mm-hmm. but then I, um, when I met him, his questions to me made me think for a minute. Like, what would you do if your family lived better than you in Korea? And what would you do if they lived worse? And I didn't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. And my answer was, I have no idea. Because... <clears throat> My brother lives very well in Korea. My sisters do not. Well, now your brother lives well, but it sounds like he had a stint for a long time where he was not living so well. Right. And it was so, for me, I'm like, do I have empathy for that? And what do I do with that information? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah. That's kind of a... Have you thought about that a lot since since he kind of put that bug in your ear? Yep. And I and I told him through a translator, let go of the burden that he carried all these years. Mm-hmm. Because I asked him why he never had kids. Your brother? Mm-hmm. My sisters all have kids. Don't know how many because it changes. I don't get it. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, like, not changes, like, but I met partial a family. And it was weird because it was like my older sister. And this is your second older sister. And here's her kids. And this is, and her, her son is somewhere else, you know. But my brother, I asked why he never had kids, and he said, because of me. What does that mean? Because he lost me, and I think he had He didn't feel responsible enough to be a father after that? I guess. And I asked, why did you not have one? You know, children. And he said, because of you. And he pointed at me, and I'm like, great! Another thing I can carry. (laughs) Now it's your burden. (laughs) But I said to him, I whatever happened in the past made me who I am today, and I'm grateful Mm -hmm. my life isn't bad here. I think in Korea, it might have been a little different. I would have been maybe homeless for a minute. Yeah, who knows how it would have turned out. Could have been dead. Um, I knew I was a family of six children, and my sister before me died. So Mm. what kind of life would I have lived? Yeah. It's impossible to say, I guess. Yeah, it's like, my brother's like, come live here. And I'm like, 
<laughs> Did he ask you to come live there? Yeah, that bike. Okay, but what do I do when I'm in Korea? But I want to yeah, go What would your there. family have done? Well, my kids would have been like, hip, hip, hooray. My mom's not on top of my crap today. Other than that. But I, as my kids get older, I, I, I have this kind of need to go back for a year. Just one year. I want to go mm. back for one year. And it's just to learn the language. Because here I won't learn it. I've tried. I've tried. It's hard. You have to do it every day. You got to be immersed in it, and even sometimes that's not enough. Well, I sit around Korean restaurants. Does that work? No, it doesn't work. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm as like, long as you can order the food, no, I don't. And even find care. the bathroom. I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> I want that. I think that's one thing in English. I feel like you know, if your brother is a chef and a, 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 a successful chef with two restaurants, the yeah, food thing should not be an issue. It's called Chinese food. He doesn't sell Korean food. He sells Chinese food. He sells Chinese food? Yes. He's a Chinese chef. Yep. <laughs> Not a sushi. Oh, uh, he did sushi when he was here, but yeah, Chinese chef. Really? So here's me. I'm like, bulgogi and what do I like? Kimchi. I've had some japchae. I think I like that one. And Korean ribs. And what did you just say? And what is that on my plate? I can't eat it. <laughs> And meanwhile, your daughter doesn't want to have anything to do with it. She's tried Korean food. She hates it. She doesn't like it? What doesn't she like about it? The smell, the taste, everything. She doesn't like barbecue? Nope. Uh, She will eat a barbecue rib if I force her. Is she like more vegetarian? Nope. She's more Vietnamese. Mmm. So they have a different flavor. She just likes noodles. Pretty much. <laughs> and fish sauce, which I don't get because Koreans eat a lot of fish too, so, eh. Maybe, maybe we should try some Korean seafood. I've tried that with her. No, so, nothing? No. Does she have any interest in going to Vietnam at all? Has nope. she been? Nope, she doesn't want to leave the country, so. It's oh, good. really? Mm-hmm. So besides you trying to push him to go out and explore, your she son's got a Korean girlfriend in Canada now that he met online. Yep. And your daughter doesn't want to go anywhere. Yep. And my son, my youngest, wants to go to Korea, but I told him he'd have to learn how to eat Korean first because mm-hmm. he's like... Is he picky? Oh, yeah. He just wants the potato. No, he wants the rice. Oh, We're really? rice family. Okay. So he wants the pop, but um, I'm not eating spicy. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's what kimchi is. It's How do you eat that? It's really good at burgers. Try it. It's true. You know, have you, has you tried grilled kimchi? Oh, yeah, but I'm just, no, not yet. You but should you, try that. That's how I got into it. Because for a while, I didn't like kimchi. And then I started grilling it first. Love it. Well, now I can eat it raw. <laughs> See, he sniffs it. And he's like, not, not going to work for me. So Try it on the grill sometimes. See if he likes it. I'll have to try it. You never know. You might get into it. <laughs> I don't know, but Korea was like, wasn't that kind on the palate. Yeah, I was a picky eater when I was a kid, too, though. It took me a long time to get... Well, Korean barbecue was kind of another doorway, because <laughs> I love barbecue. <laughs> well, I like barbecue, too, but it was... When you're in Korea, and you don't speak English, or Korean, and you're looking at the menu, and then you try to read some of it, and you're like, beef. All right, I like that. <laughs> and can I get some fish that's fried? <laughs> Nothing moving. <laughs> No? No, I can't do it. I tried. <laughs> and it moved, and they're like, this is sesame, or whatever, sashimi, sashimi? Sashimi? Sashimi, or whatever, and uh, it was moving, and I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Oh, it's not going to be moving for long. 
nothing more than in the mouth. Thank you very much. That's just grosser than hell. Oh, uh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. That's what they tell me all the time. You'll like it. Try it. You'll like it. Yeah. No. <laughs> so you want to go back to Korea for a year? When do you think you want to do that? When your when your son is older? Eighteen. When he's eighteen, so you got a good five years to to kind of practice up on the Korean and everything. I probably won't be there. I mean, I try. I I've learned. I've got books at home, and I've mm-hmm. tried the video. How often do you talk with your family now, or your your brother over there? Um, well, my son just got back in May, so um, my brother went through a stint of not talking to me. Right now, he's not talking to me. Mm. My sister is. Is it because of uh, your son? <laughs> Probably. No, my son lived no, large No, you said they there. had a good time. Oh, yeah, they went everywhere. I got uh, cacao, cacao. Cacao um, talk? Yep, I got pictures, videos, everything that they were doing, fun, drinking, and <laughs> first time I saw my son's face drunk. Was I'm he like, red? Yep, uh, absolutely. Do you get red-faced? Yep, I always do. Oh, that's a family thing, huh? Mm-hmm. Does your brother get red-faced? Uh, I don't pay attention. I pay attention. <laughs> I think he does. I think he, yeah. But he has a temper, so I know where that comes from. Oh, well, that, I think that's typical Korean man thing. No. I have a temper too. My yeah. son's like came back to me and he's like, Mom has a temper, but I know where she gets it from. <laughs> <laughs> Do they, does your son think it's like a hereditary thing? Yeah, because like, and when we got in a fight, well, we got in a fight, well, when he got back and it was all over car insurance and he was You have a Korean temper, and I do too. You can't expect me to be calm. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> One summer in Korea, and this is what he gets. Yeah, and he's like, I, I get it now, Mom. You don't even understand me. Your brother's temper is just like yours. I'm like, hey, first of all, I have never, ever gone in traffic and stopped in the middle of traffic and wanted to beat the crap out of somebody. <laughs> just not happening. I'm Minnesota nice. Thank you very much. See, we'll honk our horn. I know. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I've I've definitely gotten that mad, but I feel like that's not the Korean, that's the Jersey in me. <laughs> See, and I think it's just me. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean a temper? Um, don't piss me off to where I call it um, blood from the walls because I don't see anything but pissed off. It doesn't matter. I'm pissed. And people can talk common sense. I'm like, no, fuck, I'm, I'm this way. Fuck you. <laughs> and they're like, calm down. No. Mm-hmm. So, and... Maybe it is a Korean inside of me, but it is. It piss me off. I won't, you can't calm me down. All right. <laughs> I'll break a couple things and maybe come back later and say, I'm sorry, because it's like... So it sounds like your son had a good time in Korea then. Yep. I did not know there was Tinder in Korea. Oh, I think it's a global thing. Well, I have no idea because I'm not on those type of things. So. I mean, I'm not either, but I can only assume, like, why would it stop here? Well, he's like, Mom, I went on Tinder, and I go, because he actually talked to me when he was there, and I go, Tinder? What is that? And he's like, duh, Facebook and dating sites. He goes, I've gone on three dates. Like, <laughs> I can't even get a date in the United States. What the hell? And he was giving me shit, and then um, it's like, yeah. I met this Korean girl. She's really cute. Sends me a picture. I'm like, oh, this is too much information. <laughs> Thank you, son. And he goes, she's really cute, but guess what? I'm not all about that. And I go, all about what? She's a mom of two kids. She's 28. But she looks really young, doesn't she? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you're 23 and no kids. And no, you don't want that. <laughs> oh, boy. And I'm like, international dating will not be that easy. And then he met the girl and 
um, this girl that he really likes in Korea, and then she actually is a Canadian resident. And I go, how did you meet her? And he goes, Tinder. Tinder in Korea. And I'm like, Tinder in Korea? Damn, why didn't I do that? <laughs> Maybe you should try it on your year sabbatical over there. Yeah, but I'm scared of that shit, because I'd meet the killer of Korea, and you know, I watch a lot of K-dramas, hello? <laughs> Oh no, no! I know, I'm, I'm a very negative person on that part. The K dramas, they're so melodramatic. You don't want to base your life off of that. Oh, wow, well, there's no chance in hell I'm going to go through that. I'm like, really? He was not that psycho in the beginning. You love him. Oh, no. No, not for me. Then it turns out he's a crazy person. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'd be with that one person, that's my luck. <laughs> Stab, you know, sleep in, piss him off. So what do you think the next steps are uh, before you head out to Korea in five years? My five-year goal will be finishing up my children. Well, no, sounds bad, but finishing up their education, making sure they're well off, and then... Passing art classes? Absolutely. Well, the third one I kind of pray for. I still do every day. And then um, my line of work, I could probably take off for a year, come back, and be good. And I just kind of want to... I don't know. It's exploring on my own. I want to go there before my brother knows I'm there. Because mm -hmm. as soon as I'm there, um, it's what my brother wants me to do, not what I want to do. Mm. So I want to kind of immerse myself and then save enough money up so I don't have to work if I don't need to. Yeah. You can just explore the country. Mm-hmm. That'll be good. Yep. And that's my goal. So we'll see if that happens in five years. Hopefully none of my children have kids. <laughs> Because that usually stops everything. <laughs> any, any more kids anyways, right? Yep, because I have a granddaughter who's five, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Does her 13-year-old uncle take care of her at all? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Babysits and everything? Mm-hmm. We Good. got him trained well. <laughs> Excellent. Not really, but he <laughs> tries. I hear the screeching of, don't do that. Whatever, so. But, you know, they're kids. Yeah, of course. And then how is the involvement now with the uh, Minnesota adoptee groups? Is it just online or have you it's done... It's mostly online. I met up with one and then I am one of those that I hate huge crowds. So, mm -hmm. and I'm not a huge drinker. I'll have a drink here and there. A lot of the CAD groups I'm seeing, like when I scroll through, I'm not one to get really trashed at a bar and go home. It's not a requirement, you know. <laughs> I know, but it's sometimes when you get there, it feels like a requirement. <laughs> <laughs> no matter where you go, Americans or whatever. Don't feel peer pressured into it's, drinking. It's not about peer pressure. It's, huh, I'll think I'll have one more shot. It's self-pressure. Exactly. <laughs> self-pressure with other peer pressures. <laughs> shot, shot, shot. No, I'm, I don't know. It's just that situation. I, I'm trying to get myself more out there. I went through a lot of shit for the last year and a half when I started mm. getting into the groups and... It was because I was going through a divorce, and yeah. it was kind of ugly, so... Well, we'll you know, give yourself some time. Well, figure I, it out. I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying my life now, and I'm a lot better than Good. This. And it was because when I came back from Korea, I kind of knew what love was, mm. unlike prior. I don't know how to explain that. No, it sounds like you... I mean, it sounds like throughout this whole journey from start to finish and from 20 years ago and who you were then and who you are now, you've gone through a lot of changes and you've kind of figured stuff out. 
Yeah, and I'm pretty happy to where my changes are, and that's why I think it's important other Koreans to share their stories, because some of them, we have anger, but we don't, we're actually pretty decent human beings, too, you know? <laughs> it's unbelievable, because some a lot of shit we get from both sides of the fences, whether it's Koreans, uh, Asian Americans, and, you know, Caucasian black people, whatever, it's... We also am finding myself more and less okay being the Korean adoptive adoptee that doesn't speak any other language. Like when you go into a store, I don't know if you've dealt with it, where they automatically assume you speak their language. Oh, yeah. And they're like, blah, 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 and you're looking at them going, $28, sorry. <laughs> and give them the money. But it that's, for me now, that was a huge thing for me. Before it was like really put off, like, holy crap, I don't know what, mm -hmm. you know, I'm coming better. I think it's important that we, we as a group come together. Yeah. You know, versus, I don't know, it's fine. It's a very different society, a different thought process we have, maybe, mm -hmm. possibly. I don't know. No, absolutely. And I think I agree with you that the more people share their stories and stuff like that, the more comfortable they might feel, you know, in their own skin. Mm -hmm. And not feel so awkward when they're at the Korean grocery store or whatever, and they're like, I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah, you're like, can I get some dumplings? All I want is dumplings. <laughs> okay, um, Yogi, I got that. It means come over there. Yeah. <laughs> got that part. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's important because I think Koreans were not as loud as the Vietnamese Hmong culture, and I think we need to become a little more louder in our mm. culture and who we are. Because you really don't see that, at least in Minnesota. In Minnesota. And we're supposed to be the highest adoptive group out here. That's what I hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we're the quietest group. For now. For now. But I see it with the CAD group, we're getting a, lot, a little more louder and more into, and that's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. I think I've definitely seen, especially the past few years, a lot of progress being made on Facebook, on social media, and, and blogs, on online in general. So who knows from here on out where we're, we're going to go. Exactly. And I just you know, hope our group builds to a better, you know, for the younger generations that are coming up. Because even my son, who's Vietnamese and Korean, um, he came back from Korea, and he had traveled alone, and he said the one thing that he appreciated the most was that he was no longer the minority. Mm -hmm. And I, and it's a weird situation hearing your 23-year-old say that, that he felt more comfortable in Korea and that everyone wasn't looking at him yeah. as the Asian in the room, he calls it. You know, because he went to the U, and he's like, Chinese people are really mean. <laughs> like, what? And, you know, and it's just finding other Koreans that are accept accepting him was amazing to him. Yeah. You know, even though he's not adopted, he has that. You can still relate on the race issues. Yes, and it's quietly race issues. Yeah, it's not, it's not like an overt racism. It's always, yeah, a little bit more subdued these days, but it's still there, definitely. Yeah, because you go into a shop, and my mother will still introduce me. This is my adopted child from Korea, and I'm like, wow, Mom, really? You're 80, and they don't know that 
this, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's not necessary. Congratulations, I'm adopted. Yep, I'm her adopted daughter, and yes, I found my brother, or my brother found me, and we're good. You know, that's how my mother introduced me to the pharmacist the other day. I'm like, looking at her going, she didn't know I was adopted. Hmm, you and dad both have blue eyes, and yeah. We really don't. Like, He's like, why does the pharmacist need to know this in the first place? Well, they introduced me, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? And then, and then that's a weird racism because I find it racism in some ways, but they subconsciously do it because I know that they don't deliberately do something. Yeah, but yeah. It's like this is my adopted daughter from Korea, <laughs> and her brother found her about five years ago, and then they tell me tell my whole life story, and I'm looking at this pharmacist like. Know you. <laughs> We're just here to pick up the drugs. And I am from Korea, but yeah, you know, it's just weird. You yeah. know, it's a different side of. <clears throat> not that my parents are racist because they're not, but it's a weird society of racism because nobody else. You don't hear like your friend. This is my third child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? In a Caucasian family, whatever your birth family, you don't hear them going. This is my third child, and. I'm not sure about Johnny. He's the third one from Bob. You know, you don't have that introduction, but as a Korean adoptee, you get, this is Linda. She's my adopted daughter from Korea. And she came here when she was two in 1977. And I'm always looking at them. And she's, they're either health people that I'm speaking to now because my parents are 80. And I'm looking at them. What the hell do you do that for? Yeah. How about, this is my daughter, but it's always titled now. Right. Weird. Yeah. And then it's always a weird situation. Even in my neighborhood, I, I grew up with the same people. Roseville is quite boring. I'm the one that set the manhole covers on fire. <laughs> I'm so short. But anyway, the neighbors are the same neighbors. And it's very interesting as an adult walking down the neighborhood versus as an adopted young child. Because I remember coming home crying going one of my neighbors told me that my mom had an affair with an Asian man <laughs> you know it's like you know uh, it's the ignorance out there yeah and I just hope our group gets more louder and saying hey we're not like it's weird you know what I mean it's mm-hmm. even at work it's very different racism yeah. it's a subtle subtle way yeah and then in some ways you play off on it to fit in when you get older. Oh, yeah, yeah. That. Let's have a beer at the bar and, I don't know, <laughs> stupid jokes come on. You're like, oh, I wouldn't normally say that to my white friends, but I guess I'm Asian, so we're good. <laughs> I don't know. I oh, dealt with man. a lot of stuff, but I'm, I'm okay. Good. Yeah. Sounds like you're okay. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm good. You're okay. Yes, I'm very good. And I... <laughs> And I hope other adoptees understand that it's a crazy journey, but it's worth it to go back. And yeah. It's a crazy journey. And birth families are weird in some ways because <laughs> you don't know what they're true. thinking. And you try to guess. Mm-hmm. Like I read their letters and I read them and I'm like, is this really truly translated into that real words? <laughs> or is this translated into kinder words and they're really saying something different? Until I learn the language, I won't know. It's a mystery. <laughs> exactly. So Another mystery, but at least you have some puzzle pieces. You just don't know what they mean yet. <laughs> yeah. The J won't work. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. 
Why do I have two corner pieces? I only need one. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Is there any place online that people can get in touch with you or find you? Good luck on Facebook. I don't know. Facebook, I guess? Yep. That's pretty much it. I'm not a huge, you know, media. Well, you're not on Tinder. Nope. I'm not on <laughs> Tinder. I'm not on any of the weird sites. I'm on Facebook. I don't, um, I've heard of whatever the other Snapchats, all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah. I'm like... My kids are like, oh, Snapchat. And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, oh, it's better than Facebook. I'm like, why? The pictures only stay there for 24 hours. I'm like, great. <laughs> but I'm not playing So you can find me on Facebook. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, again, thanks for coming on the show and uh, sharing your story. I think, it, you know, it helps. It definitely helps. And it helps the community of voices grow bigger. Yep. So I, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs> All right, and that was my conversation with Linda Rogers. I want to thank Linda again for coming out despite having to go to like three different Hyatts in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area uh, to find me. I was in the Minneapolis-St. Paul Mall of America Hyatt place, I think. (laughs) There's like a million of them. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a Minneapolis native, but there's a lot of Hyatts, I guess, there. Big business by the mall and the airport, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, thanks, guys, for listening to the show. If you want to find more episodes, you can always do that on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find podcasts. We're hosted by Podbean, so you can go to podbean.com and find me there. Just search for The Rambler on any of those sites and look for my beautiful smiling face, and you will see me there and you can subscribe subscribe and if you like it if you're so inclined leave a nice review on itunes give me like five stars and write a little ditty at the end a little paragraph a couple sentences that says like mike mcdonald's awesome and he gives a platform to hear all these different views on adoption from adoptees i think you'll really uh enjoy other episodes which you can find on all those sites and if you do please download them and listen to them I really appreciate it. And share with your friends on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. You can like my page there at facebook.com slash ADHD. You can also find me on Twitter. You can tweet at me at the Rambler ADHD at Twitter, you know, Twitter, the thing we can tweet. Uh, and I'm finally on, uh, you know, all those other sites that I just said, I guess. Those are kind of the social media things that I that I do. You can message me on them. And if you're interested in sending me an email then, or coming on the show, want to be a guest, or you know somebody who wants to be a guest, or you're just curious and want to say, hey, how you doing? Or that the show is good and you want to share that with me. Or if you have a suggestion on how to make the show better or something like that, more more to your flavor, you can send me an email at uh, therambleradhd at gmail.com. I'm always available on there as well. Uh, music today is provided by The Bell at Needle Drop Records and a collective effort at SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and check out uh, a collective effort. They have a bunch of great songs. They were based out of Soul uh, before they left there. I don't know what they're doing now, but they provide some of the music at the end that you're hearing right now for the show. Uh, You can also find the latest two episodes of this show on SoundCloud as well. Tune in next week when we talk with Michelle Madrid Branch, an international adoptee uh, and a leader, another voice, a great voice. She writes books. She has speaking engagements. Uh, I believe she knows the presidential nominee from the Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton. She was praised by her at some point. So you have that to look forward to next week when I try to broadcast from Iceland. I hope it will go out on time. We'll see what happens. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know how the sound quality is going to be. We're going we're gonna to figure it out, and we're going to do that. So you have that to look forward to from Iceland, the land of ice and fire and dragons and trolls and gnomes. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm making a lot of stuff up, but the mountain is from there. I believe most of the world's strongest men come from Iceland. It's all the meat soups, the meat soups that we will partake in on the way to the volcano. Anyways, you guys have a great week. Enjoy your week. I will catch you guys on the flippy floppy. Flippy floppy? Flippy floppy. Next week. (laughs) I'm out.